He is alive. There's power in that. You can clap for that. Give it a hand. We're so glad you're here. Have a seat. Well, this half went ahead and sat down. That was startling. How did you all do that? Like together. It's impressive. Hey, listen, my name is uh, Dave Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview, and I am really excited to be opening up the Bible and talking about the message of Easter with you today. This has been a really full week. We had two great Good Friday services. And then on Saturday, we had this massive, massive Easter egg hunt. How many of you were here for the Easter egg hunt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what a couple thousand people look like, uh, knocking each other down for Easter eggs. It was a great day. It was an awesome day. The Easter bunny showed up. It was, we got yelled at by the police. It was a great, it was a great, great day. But I want to just take a minute and thank all of our children's ministry staff and volunteers for all the work that went into that beautiful day. I love that we are a part of a church that just says to the community, hey, just come on. We got lots of Easter eggs. We're ready for you. Just come and enjoy yourself uh, with us. And it, was, it really was a really beautiful day. So listen, if you've picked today as the one day out of the year to be in church, we are really, really glad that you're here. I recognize that some of you were invited by somebody. Maybe you were bribed and said there'll be brunch afterwards. I don't know why you all are here, but we really, really are glad that you're here. And if it's your tradition to be here on Easter, then you have picked an incredible day to be in church. Because we are celebrating what is arguably, not arguably, what is actually the most massive moment in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to celebrate the day that Jesus got up out of the tomb and walked out. What I love about this morning is that before we're done, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to make a spiritual decision. And for some of you, it'll be the most significant spiritual decision of your life. And I know that right now, some of you are starting to get a little twitchy. Because you're saying to yourself, no, no, I didn't come here to make a decision. I came here for the good music and maybe the free lunch. I didn't come here to make a decision. And you have your reasons why. You have your reasons why you don't want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you it's because you met a Christian along the way that disappointed you or frustrated you. Or, or maybe you were married to one. Or maybe at some point you worked for one and you're pretty convinced that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. That Christians are people who just say one thing and do something totally different. Or maybe you've experienced some loss and you looked for God and God wasn't there for you. And so for you, you think to yourself, why would I want to be a part of that? Or maybe you stepped into a church one time and that church said, you've got to change. You've got to clean yourself up before we'll hang out with you. If that's your story, if any of that is your story, I'm so sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Because the message of Easter is bigger than your objections. The message of Easter should set aside our objections and should point us to the risen Savior. The message of Easter is filled with power and purpose. 
So let me show you in its most simplest form the message of Easter. If you come here this morning and know no other verse in the Bible, you likely know this one. This is the most famous verse in the Bible. It's John 3.16. And I want us to read it together. So here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the very story, the essence of Easter. And in fact, it's actually the story of the Bible in one verse. God, who is perfect and loving, created everything, including humanity. And God loves, desperately loves, all of humanity. And he gave us freedom, freedom to choose. He gave us freedom to live our lives God's way or our way. And throughout history, mankind has chosen to live our lives our way. And in the process, we have destroyed the perfection of God's creation. Because of our own selfishness, we bring corruption and evil of every kind into the world. We introduced anger and jealousy and revenge and war and racism. All of it. We messed it all up. But God loves you. In fact, he loves us too much to leave us that way. So he sent his one and only son to fix our brokenness. We needed redemption. And redemption requires a sacrifice. But not just any sacrifice. It requires a perfect sacrifice. And so God sent his perfect son to die on a cross, to die a painful death, so that you and I could be redeemed. So that you and I could be made whole. You know, I, I, it's obvious, I'm a pastor. And when I meet people for the first time, the conversation always goes towards something of the spiritual nature. Well, first, people usually apologize for all the things they said before they learned that I was a pastor. <laughs> which is why I don't tell people that I'm a pastor very often. But it always turns to the spiritual. And conversations move toward this idea of heaven and hell. And laced in that conversation is this understanding of, am I going to get to heaven? Is my good enough going to be good enough? And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, our sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is by grace that you have been saved. That's the work done on the cross. That's the kindness that God is showing us in Christ. Because we were already dead in our sins, but Jesus came to die on a cross. There was separation between you and me and God, and he came to restore that. 
to bear the sin of the world. Why? So that you and I could be made alive again. Jesus died to take away the disease of sin and to pay the price for our own selfishness. Have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped to consider this question? Does God really love me? I mean, have you ever paused and considered that question? Does the God of the universe love me? Not us, me. And in that question, wrapped in that question, is this again, this notion of am I good enough, am I worthy of God's love? Well, there has never been a more profound answer to that question than Jesus' death on the cross. It is the most powerful expression of God's love for us, for you and for me. Because in that moment, and because of that moment, you are no longer defined by your past. You are now defined by the power of the cross. Our sin, our shame, our guilt had to be removed and it required the work of the cross to make it happen. He did this because he loves you and to make us whole. So Jesus, who died on the cross, is experiencing an incredibly painful death. And in in John chapter 19, verse 28, we find Jesus on the cross towards the very last minutes of his life. And the Bible tells us later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. The jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit, and he died. At this point in his suffering, after he was confident that his work on earth was done, with his very last breath, he summoned enough energy to say one word. One word in the Greek language of the New Testament, to telestai. We've translated in English that word into three different words. It is finished. The word tetelestai in the ancient Greek language is in the perfect tense. And all that means is that it is an ongoing thing. It is about a past completed act with a present impact. It is about a task carried out fully, brought to the finish line. It's a task that stands finished and is still finished to this day. His work of redemption is complete, sin atoned for, Satan defeated, every requirement of the law satisfied, presented, you and I, presented before God as one who has been forgiven. We are reconciled in Christ because of that moment on the cross. Where his life ended, our life begins. He took upon himself all my guilt, all my shame, all my regret, all my pain, it's finished. I'm no longer defined by my past by words such as incomplete, broken, damaged, insecure, wounded. All these defining words done, finished. All sin, all death, 
All my pain became his pain. All my mistakes became his mistakes. All the reasons you tell yourself that you are not good enough, done, finished. So what does this mean? It means that when you stand before God, regardless of where you are in your journey with God, you stand before God as one whose price has already been paid. And that is where we begin our relationship with God, as one who has already been forgiven. Your good enough will never be good enough because it doesn't need to be. You see, Jesus gave you his good enough. The Bible calls that righteousness. And the only way God can put his righteousness on you is because Jesus died on the cross. 1 Corinthians says, For what I have received I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. You see, we don't have to fight the fight anymore. We're no longer defined by shame. We're no longer seen as the sum of our mistakes. Our past is not our future. To Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus paid it all so you don't have to. Can I get an amen? amen. Where his life ends, our life begins. Now you may be thinking to yourself, does he realize that this is Easter? We're supposed to talk about something else. Well, that's true. But to fully understand the empty tomb, you have to understand the empty cross. And now we're going to turn the corner towards Easter. But before I do that, you know that there's a second part to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believed. And therein lies the rub. Because we must believe. The work is done. The price has been paid. Your forgiveness is complete. But in order for that power to transform your life, you must believe. And what is it that you're supposed to believe in? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must believe that he is risen. Say that with me. He is risen. Three words. Three words that will change you. To not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus is to miss the point of Christianity. Believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus is critically important to living a life that is transformed by its power. This is where your new life is born, right here in this moment of belief. At this point in the story, this moment between the crucifixion and the risen Savior. Do you know how many believers there were on the face of the earth? Zero. There were zero. In fact, you may think to yourself, well, what about the disciples? Surely they believed. No, they doubted the resurrection. What about Mary? When Mary shows up on the scene, she thinks Jesus' body has been stolen. There are zero believers in the resurrection in this moment. 2,000 years later, researchers tell us that 2.3 billion people around the world will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. Nearly one-third of the world's population will celebrate Easter. 
Over the course of 2,000 years, Christianity has gone from zero to 2.3 billion people around the world in every different language. How is that possible? It's possible because he is risen. He didn't stay in the tomb. The movement wasn't over. He lives. Earlier in the book of John, chapter 11, Jesus says this about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Whoever believes in me will have a life eternal. You see, Jesus' ultimate purpose on this planet wasn't to come and die. It was to come to give you life. And that life comes through his resurrection. The power of Easter is the cross, but the purpose of Easter is the empty tomb. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he got up and walked out of the tomb. This is the purpose of Easter, this moment. He didn't come to die. That wasn't his ultimate purpose. He came to be raised from the dead in order to give you new life. For that truth to transform our lives, we must believe. Matthew 28 has another um, look or take on this resurrection story. So Jesus has been taken from the cross and he's been moved to the tomb. The Sabbath has happened and it's now the next day and Mary and some other ladies are showing up to the tomb to take care of Jesus. Matthew 28 says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And then there was a violent earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. He sat on it. I have no idea why he did that. Scripture does not enlighten us as to why he did that. But imagine the scene. Mary and the other ladies are showing up to the tomb. The tomb is open and there is an angel dressed like lightning. Some guards who were there to protect the tomb laid flat out on the ground and the angel is sitting on the stone. There's really no theological truth there. I just thought it was something interesting. (laughs) His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, what angels always say before they blow your mind, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Fact. He is not here. Fact. He has risen. Fact. Just as he said he would. And this moment in history is a very personal one. It's easy to read this story or contemplate the resurrection as one of the multitudes. But this is a very deeply personal moment. It is meant for you. It is meant for me. You see, the angel didn't move the stone out of the way so that Jesus could get out. He moved the stone so that you and I could get in and experience the empty tomb. Mary needed to see 
In John's book, he talks about the fact that he came into the tomb and he saw the folded burial clothes of Jesus in the tomb and he believed. It's the resurrection. It's in this moment that we see heaven and earth joined together. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the expression of God's ultimate intention for his creation to bring the dead to life, to make things new. The resurrection is the beginning of God's plan for you and for me. God's plan for his people was never to sit on earth and wait to go to heaven. God's plan for us is to bring heaven to earth. And that is what happens in this moment. And he did that for you. It's through Christ's resurrection that a new life can be born. It's through Jesus and his resurrected body that you are resurrected to redefine who you are and your position with Christ. Revelation 21 says, He who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, because this is really good stuff. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the story, God's loving plan has always been and will always be to bring life to make the old new. This is grace. This is grace. There are three more words found in the very next verse of Matthew 28. So we've looked at the idea of it is finished. And we've looked at the idea that he is risen. And now the God of the universe, through his angel, says, come and see. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. The God of the universe is inviting you and me to come and see. And once we see, we can believe. From this moment forward, all who see and believe, he gives new life. This is the grace and mercy of God. And I think too often we forget this part of the story. We beat ourselves up. We believe the lies of our past. We struggle to forgive ourselves. We struggle to forgive each other. We judge. We stand. Not as people forgiven, but as people condemned. And that isn't the message of Easter. Brennan Manning, who is a, he's passed on now, but he is a writer. Uh, he was a priest. He was a speaker. Um, struggled with alcoholism to the day he died. He's my favorite author on the planet. And he put it this way. For me, the most radical demand of the Christian faith lies in the summoning of the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. I love that line. The courage to say yes to the present risenness, risenness of Jesus Christ. 
for you and for me today, it comes down to that. Are you going to place your belief in the risenness of Jesus? It is finished. He has risen. Come and see. Three words that literally changed everything. So what does Easter mean? Easter means that death has no longer any power over you or me. That Jesus conquered the sting of death. You don't have to be afraid of it because we have this thing called eternal life. And God is saying to you this morning, I have demonstrated power over your two greatest enemies, sin and death. It is possible for you to experience forgiveness and freedom. It is possible because of the work on the cross and because of the purpose of the empty tomb for you to have a restored relationship with God and the people around you. You can live in a loving relationship with God, but it doesn't really end there. Too often we view this idea of salvation, this idea of being a follower of Christ as a security blanket, as a ticket into heaven. But it is more than that. It is about living a resurrected life, a transformed life. God is making all things new. And so we have this hope. We have this hope that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can and will live in us. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And it has the power, if you will believe, to transform you. 1 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. He has freed us from the bondages of our past, from the bondage of our sin. The chains have been broken. God is changing you. And I know this because God has changed me. You see, I am by very nature a very selfish person. I've been married 19 years next month. And in the very early days of my marriage, I was a selfish husband. And my wife prayed for me. And God transformed my life. And if I'm being really vulnerable, I'm also a very private person. I have my own insecurities. I like to be the very smartest person in the room. And when I'm not, I'm insecure. But the Jesus who got up out of the tomb has begun a work in me that is every day transforming me into the man that he wants me to be. I no longer have to feel the burden of managing expectations. He has given me a new life. 
I have learned the freedom of being 100% me and the joy of opening myself up to everyone I see. Only God could do that. I couldn't do that on my own. God's given me the freedom to live the life that he wants me to live. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first to tell you that every day there are moments where I say, I don't know, God. I don't know what to do. And God says, you don't have to, because I do. Ephesians chapter 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God wants to do in your life more than you could possibly imagine. And I know you came here this morning. There are whole sections of your life that you have put in the ground, buried, and are dead. Some of you believe that your marriage is over. For some of you, your marriage is over. For some of you, you came here this morning lacking hope and peace. Maybe there's illness or disease or depression or sadness in your life. Maybe you come here as one who believes and has believed for a long time the stories of shame and guilt that fill your brain. The purpose of Easter, the purpose of the risen Savior is to show you and me that Jesus has the power to make all things new. He conquered sin in death. His love brings us together with him. It closes the gap of our despair, of our pain, of our sin, of our past, and it unites us with a God who loves us so much that he would send his one and only son to die on a cross and three days later be raised from the dead. So this is your moment. This is the moment that I warned you about 20 minutes ago where I'm going to ask you to make a spiritual decision. And for some of you this morning, you came in here with all your reasons and objections as to why you don't want to be a follower of Jesus. Easter should set that aside. And this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus into your life for the first time. But there are others of you that came here this morning defined by your past. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, I don't want that for me anymore. I want to embrace the resurrected life. I want to leave here empowered by your goodness and love. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray two prayers. And then I'm going to challenge you at the end of that time of prayer to get up out of your seat, to come down here to this stage where we have placed these little pieces of wood And if today is the day you're saying, I want to follow Jesus for the first time, I want you to write your name on this piece of wood. And then there are little tables over here. Just drop it in the basket. And if today you're coming here and saying, I want to be redefined by the resurrected life, I want you to pick a word, a word that describes who you want to be defined as. And I want you to write that word on this piece of wood. 
and then drop it in the basket on the tables that are in the corner. And as you do, as you drop those pieces of wood off on the tables, I want you to pick up one of these cards. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment to talk to God about who you are. Let's pray together. If this morning you're saying to yourself, if you feel this tension in your spirit that you want to follow Jesus, just repeat this prayer quietly to yourself. God in heaven, I confess to you my sin, my brokenness, and I'm thankful for your work on the cross to forgive me of that sin. God, I know that I cannot live my life without you anymore. Will you come into my life? Fill me with the resurrected power so that I can live the resurrected life. Will you do that for me, God? Will you do that for me? For those of you this morning who are saying, I'm done. I'm done believing my past. It is finished for me. Here's what I want you to pray. God in heaven, I'm so thankful that you don't erase my story, but that you desire to redeem it. Will you fill my life with your resurrected power so that I can redefine who I am in light of that power? that I may see myself as a resurrected life, as a new life in you. Will you do that for me, God? Will you show up for me like that? It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. So if that's you this morning, if you prayed one of those prayers, if this morning you want to be, take a decision for God, you want to put a stake in the ground. I want you to come forward. And I know it's weird. I know you got to walk over people and it feels, you know, awkward. But this is your moment. Do not miss it. So you come. You write your name on one of these pieces of wood or you write your word that's going to define your life. Drop it in the tables on your way back to your seat. You take a moment and you come. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time. You're thinking to yourself, I've already done this. Today is a day where you can be different. You can say no to those stories. So you come. Scripture tells us that when just one person, when just one person finds Jesus for the first time, all of heaven comes undone. All of heaven rejoices. 
for a new life. Will you celebrate these decisions that have been made this morning? So we are going to worship with one last song and we are going to come unhinged because we are going to celebrate these decisions and the risen Savior. So will you stand to your feet because it is only in Christ, it is in Christ alone that all of this has been made possible. So let's sing. Happy Easter, y'all. Unbelievable. What a great, great morning. Thank you again for being here. If today you made a decision and you want to fill out this card, would you, you can just leave it on your seat. You can take it to the info desk on your way out. We just want to send you a gift this week. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for being here. I'm going to pray. And if you'll do me a favor and just be super nice to all the people that have been circling around the parking lot because I went a little long. So just wave at them. Okay. And hopefully God's grace will survive the parking lot. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this beautiful day, for the power of your love and your grace and your mercy. Let it transform our lives today and forever and forever. Amen. 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 Have a great rest of your day.